Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast, hosted by longtime Northwest sports journalist Dan Viennes. News, reaction, and opinion. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Took a little bit of a break. Um, you know, it's just kind of warranted that kind of year, or this time of year. Anyway, welcome to the show. I'm Dan. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk some more draft today, but we're going to get a little bit deeper. We've, we've hashed out and analyzed and reanalyzed and overanalyzed the actual picks and where, where we think they're going to fit in the roster. And all those players are out on the practice field at VMAC today and through next weekend when mandatory minicamp comes and goes, and then they'll get a hard break before the season starts. Um, uh, but I have a very special guest to get to today. First, though, please like this video and uh, hit that subscribe button. Uh, that way you'll get notifications of all the new shows, live streams whenever they happen, and it's the best way to support the channel as we close in on a 1,000 subscriptions. Uh, really appreciate the support. As I mentioned, very special guest. It's been a while uh, since I've had this gentleman on the show. Uh, but you know him well, if you're part of the Seahawk family, part of the 12 fan base, it is Rob Staten of Seahawks draft blog and also the rebuild podcast from across the pond. Rob, how are you, my friend? Really good, Dan. And, uh, very much looking forward to the real football coming back now. It feels like a long <laughs> time between the draft and training camp and the preseason games, which I hate. Uh, and then that first game of the season, which I can't wait against the Rams. It's, it, it can't get here soon enough. It's definitely that time of year where it feels like it's been uh, much longer than it has been since we've actually seen a game. Um, and you were just telling me before we hit record here that uh, you don't get a break after the draft. Like a lot of us can take a deep breath because you also make a living as a football analyst, the other kind of football over there in England, soccer, and they're in their playoffs now. So you're just now getting to the point where you get a little bit of a break. Yeah, so um, we have the playoffs over here. The season ends right after the draft. I've just had probably the busiest three weeks that I've had working for the BBC, and it's it's kind of at the end now. So I'm very much looking forward to having a break. <laughs> and um, the draft was is so busy, and then that's so busy, and now a bit of downtime, so that's pretty good. Well, this time of year, you know, sometimes – it's hard to find content. It's hard to find subjects that are compelling. And I know we're still talking about the draft. Some people may think, aren't, aren't, aren't we done with this? But the reason I wanted to get into this with you today um, is because I want to go a little bit deeper. I appreciate what you do as much as anyone else out there because you you put as much time and effort not into just studying players and trying to figure out what you think the Seahawks might do, but also how they go about doing it and the process itself. And you've been outspoken over the years about some things you haven't liked about their process. It has generally, uh, uh, the consensus the last two years seems to be that the Seahawks have figured something out and stumbled onto something. I want to bring this graphic into here real quick. Uh, it's just very briefly uh, the last two draft classes. And if you can see it on the screen, um, I've highlighted in green players out of these two classes, total of 19 players that are likely to make the roster this year. Bo Melton, the only player that's not in the organization anymore, seventh round pick last year. Um, and I included Tyreek Smith here. The team keeps talking about how much they like him, missed his rookie year because of injury. Um, I think he fits kind of that back of the roster and, and can be a competitive player in that, in that room. 18 of the 19 players drafted over the last two years likely to make the team just for comparison. 
the last three drafts prior to that, 17 through 19, 31 total players drafted. Only four are still in the organization, and at least 15 of them aren't even in the league anymore. Um, let's start there. What are they doing differently? I think they've spelled it out to us that essentially in the past they've got into trouble by trying to force needs that too often they would they would come out of free agency and we would look at the roster and go, they're still lacking at this position or in this particular area. And it was quite easy to anticipate that that would be a big target with their first or second draft pick and they would go and address the needs there. The problem with that, Dan, is you are then, I suppose you're somewhat banking on those younger players, one, working it out very, very quickly and being able to have an impact within their first couple of years you're also banking on them working out at all. And it can be a, a bit of a lottery sometimes as to who is going to make it. You can do all of the work, you know, and the mental side of things and, and, and what a player's character is like. And then you can get all the physical testing numbers. You can speak to all the coaches. And even then, nobody's a sure thing. So I think that was very difficult. My preference has always been, Dan, that if you have significant needs, you address those in free agency and then the draft is a best player available situation. And the Seahawks were always quite hesitant to, to stick the toe in the water with free agency and not make a big move. But they, it starts with that. The fact that they were willing to go and get Draymond Jones, you know, and just to go and make a big splash like that. Right off the bat, in terms of the offseason, it, it just sets the tone for everything. It got everybody talking. It got everybody going. You know, they need somebody who can rush the passer. And they go and land the second best defend, veteran defensive lineman who's available. And unlike Javon Hargrave, you know, he's not 30, 31 years old. He's at a prime age. He's getting into these peak years. And I think that's something that we've forgotten about, you know, during the draft when people are going, Why, when they're going to draft a defensive lineman, hey, look, they made a huge splash on the defensive line in the first day of free agency. And by doing that, by addressing your, your greatest need right off the bat, and then you go and add Jaron Reed, it sets you up in the draft to just go and add talent so that the players you're bringing in they might not necessarily have to start straight away. They might have a, a, a bit of time, a year or two, to work out what their role is going to be. But you're getting the player who's got the best possible opportunity to give you a starter, to give you an impact player. And when you put up that list there and you just look down at it, you think, wow, I can see all of these players not just being on the roster, but actually contributing. And it's because they're just in a totally different place now. They're not drafting to fill holes. They're drafting to acquire talent. And this roster looks far more thicker for it. It looks better and that free agency plan that has changed alongside the way that they're drafting now is creating a roster that you can firmly believe this could be a contending team within the next couple of years. It's as I looked back over those previous draft classes, 17, 18, 19, um, it also struck me the, the bulk and the quantity. And there were a lot of trading down scenarios in, in those years. And John Schneider built a reputation for that. It seems like the last two years, they've been much more willing to stick and pick. So is it, is it a little bit more than just best player available, but maybe a new philosophy of, of also trying to get the best player period and knowing that the farther down you drop, the less likely it is to get those elite players. Yeah, very possibly so. It always felt like if they were drafting in the 20s and wanted to have like the 20th pick this year or the 21st pick um, when they took Jack, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, it always felt like if they were in that range, Dan, it was inevitable that they would trade down six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 spots or whatever, come away with an extra third, a couple of fourths or something like that and would feel that that gives them an, 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 you know, a couple more 
raffle tickets, lottery tickets to try and, you know, hit a, hit a winning number and come away with a player that can really be a big impact player. And look, I think there is some there is some method to that approach. And although we can look back in time and say, maybe the Seahawks shouldn't have traded down here, maybe they should have taken a player here. I also think sometimes it's in the moment you can look at it and go, well, look, if there's nobody on your board that matches the value, if you are going to take a player at 21 and you can get him at 29 anyway, you might as well have the extra pick. Or if the player that you've got graded at 21 is similar to the players that are going to be there at 29, 30, 31, again, you might as well take the pick. There is, you know, that's a sensible approach. The other thing we've got to remember here is that there were a couple of drafts where the Seahawks basically had black holes in their draft because they went to try and chase a title. When they go and trade for Sheldon Richardson and they've got no second round pick that year, yeah. I think they, in that year, uh, what was it, like 2018, they had a first round pick and then nothing to like the fourth round. So if you actually want to have a draft class, you've got to trade down and try and fill some of those gaps. And there's been a few moments like that where they've had holes on their board where they want to acquire picks and trading down is a way to fill out their board. So I, I'm not entirely critical. I know some people that not like their trading down approach. I think over the years, it has, there's been some method. There's been an, an, a clear uh, need really to sort of do what they did. But yeah, I think there's, it's perhaps a little tweet there. They're not, they're getting offers because John Schneider talks about it. They're mm-hmm. getting offers to trade down and not taking them. And they're going, nah, we're going to stick and pick. And yeah, you know, I think, I think all fans kind of like that because it suggests they've got a conviction about the player they've taken. When you look at the classes as a whole, as we just did, it, it, it does, it does look differently than it, than it does in the moment as the draft is progressing and the way the draft is structured now being spread over three nights, there's a lot of uncertainty when you go to bed those first two nights about how the class is going to look as a whole, even given, even if you absolutely loved what they did on day one and day two, when you went to bed at the end of Friday and they still hadn't addressed the defensive front other than Derek Hall as an edge, still make you a little nervous? I wasn't actually, I, I didn't feel that nervous about it. Mm-hmm. I know that um, I can understand why a lot of people did because you've they just lost everybody. You know, yeah. some of it because they wanted to, you know, they moved on from certain players. Let's just be honest about that. But they, you know, the, with the likes of Al Woods going and not replacing them and Shelby Harris going and not replacing them, yeah, they'd brought in Jaron Reed and, and Draymond Jones, but there was still an obvious need there to do something. So, yes, when you're getting into that fourth round, you, one, you're thinking, is there enough quality there to still address this? And is the quantity there? You know, when they're actually picking, are there going to be players available to them? And if not, what are they going to do? But, you know, one of the things, I suppose one of the benefits of being a complete nerd about the draft and, and watching you know, spending all of your time, I mean, it's, it is ridiculous. You know, I have the most patient wife in the world <laughs> who allows me to watch all of these like ridiculous amounts of games on a weekend and then throughout the week is that you do sort of see players that you know are still there and they're going to be there in the fourth and fifth round that you feel really good about that perhaps you've had the benefit of watching them play that others haven't. And one of the players that was really keen for the Silks to draft was, was the guy they took in round four, which was Cameron Young. Mm-hmm. And I, if they'd have taken him in round three, I'd have said it was a good pick. So the fact they got him in round four, you're thinking, well, look, I'm actually, that's a player that I think fits them perfectly for what they needed. And while players like that were still there, I was quite comfortable about it. And when they take that player, that's why I end up giving it, you know, draft grades are ridiculously premature, aren't they? But that's why I ended up giving them another A plus this year. Cause I just think, yeah, that makes total sense. He's a quality player. There's something to work with there. It will not surprise me at all if Cameron Young ends up being the 2023 answer to Abe Lucas, hmm. a player who 
played brilliantly at the senior bowl, got no attention whatsoever. Nobody was talking about him, had no business being available as late as round four, as Abe Lucas had no business being there in round three, seemed to have been targeted by the Seahawks as someone they really wanted to get, and they get him. And yeah, like I say, it will not surprise me if in 12 months' time, Dan, we're all talking about Cam Young as a fixture of this team for the long term, because I think he's a really good player. I think that's the thing about the the way they draft now is is you can say this about just about every player they picked in this draft, but but I think especially it applies to Young that that you get a guy in the fourth round, he's not one of the names commonly known among the fan base who were wishing and hoping for other defensive linemen. But yet you cannot find anyone, not an analyst, not a scout, not people who make a living grading drafts and looking at these types of things, such as yourself, that has anything negative to say about it. No, you cannot find anyone out there who's willing to say, I think they missed on on Cameron Young. I just don't think he's a player, Um, which to get that in the fourth round kind of under the radar like that's pretty remarkable. It is. Although they've done two. They've had two great drafts. Yeah. And everybody feels that way. You know, there's a consensus there that they've had two great drafts. It really does help when you've got as many picks as they had. And I, th- I think that's going to be an interesting challenge for them. Is because next year, yeah, they've got the extra third rounder, but they're not going to have two seconds for the third year in a row. They're, they're not going to have the two first unless, some, unless yeah. that situation changes between now and the next draft. So th- creating a game plan that provides the consistent approach that they've had over the last couple of years with lesser stock is going to be fascinating, but... You know, I, I think that they have they have given fans a, a reason to dream again. And I think that's that's great. I don't think I know a lot of fans will feel that that was there in like 18, 19, 20, 21. I, I wasn't in that place. I think that they needed this kind of a reset and this restart. And I think that two years in, I don't think there's, they could have done anything better. I think it's so far. It has been a top-notch effort, and uh, they're putting themselves in a, in a position again to become one of the better teams in the NFC. Hmm. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's talk about that. I think um, expectations have been raised quite a bit because last year was so unexpectedly successful for a team that that nobody really expected to go to the playoffs. Are expectations a little too high right now? Do, do they need because they're so? young on this roster now um do they need another year and another draft like this to get to where you're saying they could go i think it depends what your expectations are as a fan i think if you're expecting a super bowl run this year then i would suggest that having maybe a bit more of a cautious approach than that is best because I, i think there are better teams than the seahawks and i think if they get to the playoffs again that they will ultimately lose to one of those better teams. You know, even if they give an Eagles or a, a San Francisco a game, I, I don't think they w- they're in a position yet where you would expect them to move, go on the road to Philly or to San Francisco or Santa Clara, whoever it is, and, and win that game. But that's fine by me. I, I I do think they need another offseason. I think they need just one more offseason, another draft, another free agency. I think they need to shift some of the money that's tied up in, you know, certain positions. I think the 
paying 40 million at safety this year. If they can shift some of that to the defensive line, maybe another offensive lineman, depends what the, the younger guys are going to do this year, and, and maybe they won't need to do that, but we'll see. Uh, if they can do that next year, then I think we could easily be sitting here talking about a really legit team. I also think, look, I like Geno Smith. I, I think anybody who who is offering maybe a slightly measured take on Geno Smith is, is not a Geno hater. I kind of sense that that's often the case. I like Geno Smith. I thought he, it was a great story last year. And for the first half of last season, he was unbelievable and a, and a legit MVP candidate. In the second half of the season, he wasn't as good. And I'm, I'm really mm. interested to see what his full year is going to be this year. You know, it's it's a it's another season. He's, he's an established starter now. There's not going to be some big... They, they'll call it a competition, but really, yeah. we know there's not going to be a competition in training camp. Geno Smith's going to be the starter. He has got Jackson Smith and Jigba and Zach Charbonnet to go with all of the rest of the weapons that he already had. Mm. It's, it, the offense looks like it could, be, it could be the most explosive offense we've ever seen in Seattle, given all the talent they've got. Um, so I, I'm intrigued to see if he can produce results in the first half of last season for a bit longer. I mean, look, it's, it'd be harsh to expect him to do that for a whole year. But can the, 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 the slight dips be not quite as low as some points last year? Can he limit the turnover-worthy plays and play at, at a consistent level across the year to enable Seattle to play their best football? If he does that, then fantastic. But that's that's a storyline, you know. We need to sort of see that again this year, you know, see how he is in year two as the starter, and take stock. So I think there's a lot at, at play here. I think they need another off season to sort of feel like the Seahawks would be like at the top five of a power ranking, let's say, if, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. But I think right now they're firmly in that ten to fifteen range with the definite potential to rise when the season begins. Getting back to the evaluation process, I feel like this year more than ever, and maybe because um, I think John Schneider was a lot more transparent this year about the process, did a radio show every week. I feel like he talked more openly about it. And and when he talked after the draft about, um, about their hammer rating, right? About how tough guys were and about those intangible personality characteristics that they play so much weight on that... You know, the big question this year was, would they even consider drafting Jalen Carter? We now know that they they were not. As each year goes by now and they've tweaked this process and evolved this process now, and you've always been so good at looking at their size, length thresholds, relative athletic scores and all those kinds of things, the explosiveness testing for linemen. <laughs> Do you find now that as you're prepping for, to, to look into next year's prospects that you're going to have to spend more time watching player interviews and trying to get to know the player to identify who the Seahawk guys really are? Well, it's interesting you should, you should say that because I that is something I started doing last year was I watched interviews, 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 uh, press conferences, one-on-ones, and go and seek them out. Because John Schneider has spoken about that a couple yeah. of times. He was even talking about that last year, that they – they can't meet with every player during the season. So they watch the interviews and the press conferences that these players do on YouTube. So I thought, well, if they're doing that, I should do that. <laughs> so I, I have been doing it. And it's one of the things that has helped shape sort of some of the things that I've written about and some of the thoughts I've got. I also have built up some contacts, which you know I will go mm -hmm. to them and find out about players and, and stuff because the character side of it has become a big thing. It's the reason why I, I was so... I, I suppose you would think you said it was like outspoken about Jalen Carter. It's because I was completely convinced they weren't going to take him. Yeah. Completely. It was, for me, it was a no brainer. And um, look, I was, I, the night before the draft, 
every mock draft's putting in with Seattle. Yep. People are sending me hundreds of messages going, you, if you get this wrong, you know, I'm going to let you hear about it. And I was thinking, there was part of me the night, the, the night of the draft where I turned to my wife and went, if, this, if they take him now, this, you know, this, I'm probably never going to be able to write another article again. And I, I and, and, and she says, ah, stop worrying about it. You've, you've done the work. She knew all the work that I'd done on this. Um, and I says, well, still, I can't stop thinking about it. I'm going to write an apology um, to the community before the draft so that if, if it, if they take him, I need to own it and just say, <laughs> right. I got that completely wrong. And, and I wrote the article and it's, it's the, look, I write loads of articles and never see the light of day. That is the mo- one I've enjoyed the most deleting because it was, if, it, if they had taken him after all of that, then I, I laugh about it now, but it, it would have been a horrendous like, yeah. rest of the draft in terms of the reaction to it. But yeah, having done the work on the character, this is clearly a big deal. It's just con- it's too consistent. And they've spelled it out. You know, they've kept saying how important character has been to them and how they're focusing on that. And that's going to be a big thing of it now. They are going to take a certain type of guy. And you could see Devin Witherspoon. My big thing with Devin Witherspoon was this is a Seahawk. It's just he's a cornerback and they haven't done that yeah. that early. Yeah. So I need to see that to believe it. Um, but he is a Seahawk. The way that he speaks, the way that he plays, everything. And then when they take him, you think, yeah, of course. He was here with Anderson were the two most Seahawky players at the top of the draft. And it's, it's no surprise afterwards that John Schneider said there were basically two guys they wouldn't have traded down for. One was Will Anderson, one was Devin Witherspoon. Yeah, and to me, the other guy is Derek Hall in that he, he was, of all the edge players, uh, you know, as I do all the mock drafts and everything leading up to the draft, I just never really paid a lot of attention to him. I didn't think he really offered it that much physically that was different than what they had. Um, just didn't, his tape isn't flashy. Um, but I didn't know the the person and I didn't know the story. And if I had known, I, it would have been, you know, plain as day. Cause that, that guy was, that guy was destined to be a Seahawk too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he, what you say is absolutely fair because the, he is, he doesn't look like a long lean pass rusher, which is what they go for. But then, when he started measuring and you were like, oh, hang on a minute, he has got plus 33 inch arms. And then he ran a 1.5, 10-yard split. And then he had like the vertical jumps and the agility testing, a great short shuttle. And you're thinking, no, this is exactly what they go for. He might not necessarily look like he's got 34-inch arms and, and like long lean. and everything, yeah. But he's got it all. It's just his body is, is put together as it is, that he is actually that. And then at his pro day, you know, he was in and out of those bags and stuff like that. His mm. agility, he was fantastic. The character, everybody knew. Like, everyone was saying, you know, I spoke to people like Jim Nagy about this and um, and others that basically, you know, there was a lot of issues at Auburn last year and it would have completely yeah. fallen apart if it wasn't for people like Derek Hall. And he was the one who was credited with that. They gave Alabama a hell of a game in the Iron Bowl. I had no business doing that. And it's because of people like Derek Hall keeping it together. So the character, the testing, the athleticism, his personality, everything. And and I like that pick a lot. I, I can't wait. He reminds me in terms of body type. He's, he's a much better athlete, but someone like James Harrison at, at Pittsburgh, but with much better character and much better traits. In that I think it, it, it might it might take him a little while to get there, but once he gets there, watch out. I think he will be a, a, a culture setter, a leader, an impact player. I think he's just got to take his time to get through this and work his way into the NFL. But if he can stay healthy, I mean, watch out. I won't be surprised again. I've said this about Cam Young. It won't surprise me if in a couple of years, Dan, he is 
I mean, look, I don't want to make these kind of bold comparisons, but it wouldn't surprise me if his his personality and his character influence and his voice in that locker room is being compared to when Cam was there and, and people like that. You know, that's he, f- he feels like he's got that vibe to him. So he'll need to show it on the field. It can't just be a great talker. Yeah. But that's I think that's the potential there. You know, it's funny with him too. Uh, it encourages me to look at other uh, measurables and things uh, with with some of these prospects prospects that are universally ranked fairly high because sometimes just the visual is deceiving and college uniforms look different. They wear uh, different numbers in college. And, and sometimes when I saw that he's his height, weight, length specs are almost identical to Chris Clemens, I was beside myself. I had to go back and look again because he doesn't look that long, um, much more explosive than Clemens, but uh, he was kind of a deceiving guy for me. But I, I, the game you're talking about, I went back afterwards and watched that Alabama game and he's, uh, he doesn't have a lot of moves in his pass rush toolbox, but the way he can single arm shove an offensive tackle back into the pocket is pretty impressive. And against Alabama, you saw him do it from the left side and from the right side. Can't wait to see what that guy can do. Uh, as you look ahead to next year's draft or, and I'm, I'm sure you haven't dug into it yet. You've been a busy man, but just as the rosters constructed today and the young core today, is there any need that stands out to you today that you think they'll be targeting next year? Well, uh, when the draft finished, I immediately started watching uh, quarterback tape just mm-hmm. because there's a I lot think, of them. There's a lot of them next yeah, year. There are, there are. Um, look, I, I, I don't know whether it's a need or not. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of holes on the roster right now. You know, there's, it's, it's a, it's a roster that's well, well placed. doesn't have many needs. You, you could easily say, well, look, if, Damien Lewis leaves as a free agent, like guard could be a hole and stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, they've got a couple of tight ends without a contract. But for me, it's, you know, I think John Schneider fully expected to have drafted a quarterback in the last two drafts. I think when Russell Wilson was traded, I think he expected to take one. Mm-hmm. And even if Geno Smith plays great this year, I still think that that they will want to invest in somebody who they can work on behind the scenes who, for, you know, if for nothing else, Dan, you know, a quarterback drafted in, like, say, even day two is a lot cheaper than the veteran backup. So it saves money for, for nothing else. And I do think there is an interest there in drafting someone to develop them behind Geno Smith and not forcing them to start straight away. So I, I think that that is, that is probably the position I'm going to watch the most. I have to say, because this is a much vaunted quarterback class next year, my first impressions were, I, and no, I've watched loads of games already. It's ridiculous. I've done, like, three articles on, on this already talking about the different players, I was a bit underwhelmed by some of the names that are getting talked to in the media. Clearly, you know, the guy at the top at USC is, he, he, yeah, he's going to be the number one overall pick. Yeah. I don't think, you know, Drake May at, at, at UNC, I don't think he's as good as some people are suggesting. I don't think, I'm not saying he's a bad player, but I don't think he's, wow, this guy's definitely going to go second overall, especially in a draft where Marvin Harrison Jr. is in the, in the draft. Yeah. Um, and I think then, you know, the other guys... You can set there are positives like Michael Penix Jr.'s got a beautiful arm. Like what an arm. It's an incredible arm. It's techniques all over the place, but what an arm. And then, you know, you, you go down and you can I could go through every name. Mm-hmm. There is, you know, Quinn Ewers gets a lot of attention at Texas. I've been calling him Quinn Ewers because his <laughs> take last year was pretty awful. That and, might catch on. Um, you know, he's he's got technically he's got so much skill and talent, natural 
naturally excellent player, but there's just so many like WTF moments on tape that he needs to clean that up. So that's the position I will begin the year focusing on. Hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean to say that I, I definitely think they're going to go that way or that they're going to trade up for somebody or it's going to be a first-round pick. I think their ideal is to get somebody in round two, three, who they like, who needs to be developed, and they end up sort of sitting behind Geno Smith. But the thing I would just keep saying to everybody, Geno Smith is... If he's on the on the roster next year, he's going to be earning thirty one point two million as a cap hit. Yeah, that's something to keep an eye on. And there's a lot of um, accelerators, so he gets two million dollars if the team wins nine games. He gets two million dollars if he just matches his numbers from in touchdown numbers from last year. Now he can match his touchdown numbers last year down and throw ten more interceptions, and he still gets right. two million dollars. So that thirty one point two could easily end up being nearer forty. So his performance is going to be judged, and he will have to have played to be worthy of. 35 to 40 million dollars next year so it's it's a talking point and i think that will end up being a, a unless he just is gangbusters throughout the whole season that's going to be a talking point throughout the year how much uh, how much value are you getting out of that contract for 2024 and if the value isn't quite there and they have to redo that deal or they have to move on or if there's a question mark then we all know that that's going to be the big need. So I sincerely hope we don't have to go down that path. And I hope that Geno Smith is an absolute sort of force, but we, we also have to, you know, acknowledge that there's another side to that potentially. Well, Rob, it's always good catching up with you. I know you are a busy man and this is the beginning of a, 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 you get a little bit of a break now. A little bit of a break. Okay. Um, But I, I know but already watching tape. (laughs) Well, thank you for being with us. Uh, If you want to read his stuff, the Seahawks draft blog.com and also um, Spotify, Apple podcasts, all the different podcast apps, uh, the rebuild. And he has some, uh, always has some great guests on there. Always appreciate your insight, Rob. Thanks for having, uh, thanks for uh, making time for us today and uh, we'll catch up soon. All right. Anytime, Dan. Thank you for the invite. Thanks, Rob. Uh, That's going to do it for me here today. Um, Next week, Kenneth Arthur of Seaside Joe is going to be joining me um, to talk about his newsletter. Uh, One of the most prolific Seahawk writers out there literally produces content every single day. And so we're going to dig into a bunch of different subjects with him. Also working on a uh, a surprise guest for after minicamp to do... uh, to do a look back at OTAs and kind of tell me what he saw with his eyes. I'm going to keep that quiet for the time being. A little bit of a surprise. Uh, Until then, again, as always, follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever and subscribe to the YouTube page. Until next time.